TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Dr. Brett Hill, and this week I'm very excited to be joined by a board-certified cardiologist who got tired of patients failing to truly get well. He treats the whole person getting to the cause of the issue instead of treating only the symptoms and offers practical solutions for heart health in his office in Paradise Valley, Arizona. Doesn't that sound like a nice place? He's the author of The Paleocardiologist. He's the husband of a doctor of chiropractic, which of course resonates beautifully with me. Um, So welcome to the show, Dr. Jack Wilson. Dr. Brett, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, Very excited to speak to just another brother in in healing. It's a wonderful thing. Oh, mate, I'm really looking forward to this episode. Uh, You know, we've just uh, been chatting off air and and I think we could have gone for hours. So we just had to sort of hit pause so we could actually remember to record an episode. Otherwise, we might have got totally carried away. So I can't wait for this episode. I think this is going to be an absolute ripper. Um, So, Jack, you're obviously, you are a board certified cardiologist, but you've got a totally different approach to cardiology than most cardiologists out there. You know, there's a few of you now, it seems, that have come out with some different ideas, but not many. So how did you end up a cardiologist, and, uh, and why is your approach so different to many, Jack? Well, my, uh, I became a cardiologist uh, really because my father was a cardiologist. He was a doctor of osteopathic medicine. I went to osteopathic medical school where he was the you know, director of the cardiology department. All of his friends were DOs, so that's really what I grew up amongst. But I had to learn osteopathic manipulation, and yeah, obviously there's some similarities to uh, chiropractic adjusting uh, in that. But I always knew I wanted to go into cardiology, so I really didn't spend too much time adjusting. I refer all my patients out for chiropractic care, unless, of course, they come to me from another chiropractor. But all my patients must be under chiropractic care. But when I uh, finished my training in 2002, after four years of medical school, three years of internal medicine, three years of cardiology, I'm doing angiograms and pacemakers and all the high-tech medical procedures and dispensing all the pills. And I meet a woman two and a half years into my medical practice, and this young woman is a chiropractor. And she starts whispering all these things in my ear that the drugs are (laughs) not helping and they're actually hurting and they're covering up symptoms and you have to be a doctor of cause like a DC is and go after the cause of health problems. And I started to listen to her, number one, because she's beautiful, and number two, (laughs) because it makes sense. So I started to change my practice. I started getting into trouble with uh, my the, the senior partners of my group who were getting complaints. Why is this Wolfson guy referring out to chiropractors? Why is he talking about seeing naturopaths? Why is he taking my patient off drugs? Why is he talking about this crazy paleo diet? <laughs> and the writing was on the wall. In 2012, I left my old practice, of which I was a senior partner, making major, major dollars and quit that to open up my own practice in 2012, like I said. And here in my office, we talk about nutrition, we talk about lifestyle, we talk about seeing a chiropractor, we talk about sleep, we talk about relaxation, we talk about evidence-based supplements. And people are coming from all over the world to see me and the results are spectacular. 
Well, you know, Jack, for us, who, you know, people who listen to this show and have heard all of the different people on this show, it just makes so much sense. I mean, the, the concept that what we eat might have an impact on our heart health, you know, the concept that, you know, the way our spine and nervous system functions might have an impact, you know, the concept that our whole lifestyle is going to have an impact on our health is just so mind-numbingly obvious that the first question that comes to the mind is, why is a cardiologist like you the exception rather than the norm? Well, I think it's just brainwashing uh, uh, since birth, frankly, where, where people are taught to rely on pills and procedures and people's, you know, their earliest memories are going to the doctor and they're getting uh, shots or they're getting antibiotics. Uh, and th- that's just kind of how everybody's indoctrinated. So when you do get to medical school, you're excited to write prescriptions. You're excited to do procedures. You're not really interested or even can even concept anymore that there is causation to this. And in medical school, there's no nutrition training. There's nothing about lifestyle. In my years as an internal medicine resident and cardiology fellow, the amount of times we talked about the importance of sleep, relaxation, manipulative medicine, um, uh, you know, supplementation was zero. Mm. We never talked about it. We never talked about nutrition and its impact on health. And when I started opening up my eyes and talking to doctors and going to conferences and reading, it was just like I had stepped out of the matrix. Like, wow, this really makes sense. And it's been so exciting uh, ever since. And, you know, how much of that comes down to time and money, Jack? Because, you know, it seems to me that, you know, if you want to go down this approach and look into lifestyle, then it kind of necessitates you, A, um, spending more time with the patient. Um, and, you know, I guess one of the, ch- the challenge with that is not necessarily just that it's a financial consideration for a practitioner, but also just the fact that there are so many people out there with heart issues that I think sometimes practitioners get, you know, they get so caught up dealing with all the people at the bottom of the cliff who've fallen down, uh, and they're so busy trying to deal with these people who have these major heart issues that they just almost don't have time to look up to the top of the cliff and see whether, you know, there's a fence there to help protect them from falling. And so, you know, do you think that that's, you know, a big part of this? We're so stuck in that crisis care system, that crisis mentality, that we almost, practitioners, I think, don't have the time or the space to even investigate, let alone recommend some of these more lifestyle issues. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. When I left my old practice, we were seeing patients every 10 minutes. Uh, and yeah, how can you have a, a dramatic impact on someone's health, uh, even if you knew what you needed to tell them? Now, the problem with medical doctors right now is they don't need any more than 10 minutes because they say, hey, how you doing? Here's your uh, pharmaceutical. Get your test on the way out. Goodbye. So there's not really much impetus, you know, for them to spend any more time. They don't need to. They don't know anymore. And certainly they are jaded by the system and say, well, you know what? I could talk about nutrition, but they're not going to listen. I can talk about lifestyle, but they're not going to listen. So there there is that uh, part of it. But, yeah, my new practice, uh, as of 2012, I see patients uh, for a new consultation. It's an hour and 15 minutes. Follow-up examinations are 30 to 45 minutes. We go over extensive blood work to really give them an idea uh, as to, you know, what their health status is. And that's why people flock to practices like mine. Uh, for better or for worse, it's not good for the public. It's good for my business. Uh, there's just not many cardiologists that are speaking the way that I am. And then the other factor is I talk the talk and I walk the walk. So I follow paleo. I eat 100% organic. I live the chemical-free and 
environmental toxin-free lifestyle as much as possible. I take the supplements. I get my sleep. I actually get my iPad uh, out of the bedroom and my cell phone out of the bedroom, and I turn off the Wi-Fi at night. And I think that makes a big difference. And the patients look up to me and know that I'm following that lifestyle because I, I left a group of 40 doctors, uh, two-thirds of which would be classified as either overweight or obese. Mm. Who's going to listen to those people? Yeah, yeah, it's such a good point. And, and leading the way can make such a big difference. And so it's an absolute credit to you that you're doing that, Jack, because you know people so often will. They'll listen more to what you do than to what you say. And, and it's true as parents and friends, but it's true as practitioners as well. So credit to you, Jack. It's, it's awesome work you're doing. Um, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about evidence-based medicine, Jack, because that seems to be the big push at the moment, is that everything has to be evidence-based medicine and that if you can't back it up with a double-blind randomized control study, then it's not worth doing. And I think one of the challenges with this is it takes out what you're talking about. It takes out the, the individuality of you know a practitioner being able to use his knowledge and expertise to look at an individual person and create an individual solution for that person. And you know when we're looking at lifestyle, it's such a multifactorial um, experience that, that to just say that this particular intervention is going to create this particular result for these particular individuals is much harder to do than it is to say, well, this drug is going to create this result in these people and, and prove that with a double-blind randomized control study. So I guess the point I'm getting at is that um, you know, th this push towards evidence-based medicine and perhaps you know, diminishing the, the experience that we've learnt over years, centuries, generations, um, you know, diminishing the, the knowledge of a practitioner, diminishing the ability to, to look at the individual and create individual solutions, I think is pushing people more towards a drug-based intervention rather than a perhaps more complicated but more effective lifestyle-based intervention. Um, what do you think about evidence-based medicine and the way that it's going? Well, I think, uh, you know, you bring up some, you know, some tremendous points. And, you know, first and foremost... 95% uh, of the stuff that we do uh, in medicine is not evidence-based. Mm. <laughs> you know, the, the drugs that we're using, the procedures that we're doing, these things don't have uh, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials, you know, yeah. and, and they're not going to. I'm not allowed uh, to say that, Jack, so I'm glad that you did. That's great. Uh, no, I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they just, I mean that, that's just in the medical literature. That's just not Jack Wolfson yeah. saying this stuff. I mean, it's, it's all over, you know, in, in medical literature where, you know, mainstream journals, New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of the American Medical Association here in the States. I mean, these are, uh, you know, British Lancet. I mean, this stuff is, is well known. And uh, the other thing is, is that they're not going to be doing these studies anytime soon. They're not going to be doing a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial looking at outcomes on omega-3 fish oil versus statin drugs. Mm. They're not going to be looking at putting someone on a paleo diet with heavy use of spices, which are totally medicinal, thyme and rosemary uh, and, uh, and cumin and turmeric and all these things that where, where pharmaceuticals came from was stealing it from you know, herbal and, and uh, you know, natural remedies, of course. They're not going to have those trials uh, because no one's going to pay for them. Uh, and as you know, there's so many different things that can be uh, um, uh, tainted about a trial. You can make up data. You can change data. You can drop out patients. Even in these randomized double-blind, when they're controlled by a certain industry. Heck, I was just reading a study this morning that talked about that fish oil. I'm sorry. Corn oil is better than 
extra virgin olive oil as far as lipid parameters, cholesterol parameters are concerned. And I looked at the sponsors of it, and it's the makers of Mazzola corn oil are the <laughs> ones that sponsored the study. Yeah. You know, but it was randomized double blind. So, Brett, you know, you and I both know that here's how it works when you're a corporate CEO of a pharmaceutical company. You're, uh, you, Dr. Brett, you're my director of, of research. And you come in the room and you say, listen, uh, CEO Wolfson, uh, we ran this study and it turned out the drug didn't work. Not only did it not work, but actually the group that got the drug did worse. And I say to you, well, Dr. Brett, it's been wonderful for you working for our company. <laughs> if you ever say anything about these, uh, these results, uh, you'll never work in the industry again or maybe worse. Wink, wink. This stuff goes on. Governments and corporations uh, can do bad things. Yeah. And to think that the randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial is the be-all, end-all, you know, obviously, it's not. And the reality is, when it comes to chiropractic care, in the United States, there are 300 million people, 30 million of which uh, are either actively seeing chiropractors or have seen chiropractors are all these people wrong? Are they foolish? I mean, why do they keep going back? Just because they like going there and talking to the chiropractor and giving a copay? They're getting better. They're getting healed. And uh, I don't need a double-blind placebo-controlled you know, trial to tell me that. When I send my patients that have high blood pressure, and first of all, there is a good trial on blood pressure in chiropractic, but when I send them out to a chiropractor, because they've got blood pressure issues, because they've got palpitations, PACs, PVCs, atrial fibrillation, because they've got passing out episodes, syncope, or they've got heart failure, I know that the brain is connected to the spinal cord and the autonomic nervous system and hits every organ in the body. And I know when that communication highway is messed up, the patient's going to suffer. And I'm sending them to the chiros to get fixed. Beautiful. I couldn't have said it better, Jack. I love that. I love that you're talking my language and talking chiropractic here. And, you know, the other thing I want to mention about the research studies is is the compulsion or the lack of compulsion to publish. I think that's one of the biggest issues we've got is that that company you spoke about, they could do 100 studies, you know, and 99 of those studies could come back negative. One of those studies could come back positive. And there is absolutely nothing to stop them from throwing those 99 studies in the bin and only publishing the one that happens to show what they want. And then later on, they can go back and do a summary of all the published data and say, well, look, all of this published data is positive. Uh, when in actual fact, that's just the data that's been published. It's not been the studies that have been done. And I think that's a huge right. issue. Uh, uh, very well said. And I think, you know, um, uh, the recent book by a chiropractor by the name of uh, Vic uh, Namoff, um, N-A-U-M-O-V, I, I know he talks about that uh, in his book. And that's obviously... Uh, uh, very well known. But if you look at, you know, you know, let's go back to the 1950s and 60s and the data on saturated fat and Ansel Keys and, and he does the six countries study and the seven countries study. And he says, well, those countries that follow low fat uh, uh, do better. But he didn't include France, for example. And mm. France is, the, you know, French paradox where over there they're eating saturated fat and high fatty foods all day long, yet they have a lower risk of heart disease. So this is a classic example where a doctor picked and choose what studies he wants to include in the meta-analysis. And that has led to 50 years of bogus nutrition advice, which of course has led to increasing risk of everything bad, heart disease, cancer, strokes, uh, diabetes, dementia, uh, all because faulty studies that were done 50 years ago.
So, so Jack, what do people do? Because, you know, a heart attack is a really scary thing. You know, people are petrified of their heart health. And so there would be people listening to this show who have a doctor who's put them on heart medications, who's told them that that's all they need to do and that they shouldn't have too much saturated fat, that they should have lots of healthy whole grains in their diet, you know, all of those sort of things that doctors tell people. And so for someone who is listening to that, it's really hard to make change. And There'd be even more people listening to this who get it, but who have other people in their lives who they love who don't get it and who are blindly following and listening to their doctor as well. So, um, you know, and and I guess by the same token, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, there are probably some people who are, you know, have got their body to the stage where they need that medication to keep them alive. So what do you do? If you're in that situation, you want to make some changes, but you're not sure what to do, and maybe your doctor's not that supportive of you making changes, where do you start, Jack? Well, I'll give you my shameless plug here. Start with my book, The Paleo Cardiologist, The Natural yeah. Way to Heart Health. 17 chapters. I talk a couple chapters about paleo. I talk about cholesterol. I talk about pharmaceuticals. I've got over 300 references in my book from mainstream journals. So if you don't believe me, then believe the MDs and the PhDs that wrote the articles at the end of my book. So... So that's one place to start. The other thing is that when it comes to the paleo lifestyle, it just makes sense that our ancestors have been eating and living a certain way for millions of years. It's just common sense when we open up our eyes to realize, wait a second, and open up our brains to the fact that, okay, for millions of years, we were hunter-gatherers. We ate tons of vegetables. We ate free-range grass-fed meats. We ate wild seafood. We ate eggs and avocados and coconuts and olives and nuts and seeds. We had a little bit of fruit in season. We never had bread. We never had cereal. We never had pasta. We never chased other animals to milk them and make cheese and butter and yogurt and certainly not ice cream. We didn't rely on 60% of our nutritional calories coming from a source of corn and soy. When you when people when you tell them that and they're like, wow, that really makes sense. And then you point out the fact that there are societies still on Earth and that have been documented that are still paleo societies. And those people have extraordinary health unless they fall off a cliff and uh, break their leg uh, or it's a traumatic uh, event. They live very successful, uh, uh, long lives uh, in that type of environment. So uh, I love opening up people's eyes to that fact. Uh, The literature is there. Paleo nutrition has great literature on it, how paleo trumps even Mediterranean. Paleo, of course, does better than the SAD diet or, you know, the standard American diet. It does better than the diabetes diet. Uh, My patients, especially when you check advanced lipid testing, you really get in-depth and you look at markers of inflammation, we are just doing phenomenal work with, with uh, paleo alone. We talk about bone broth. We talk about organ meats. We talk about, uh, of course, everything, like I said, has to be organic and pesticide and GMO-free. And like I mentioned before, the ability of spices, just open, you know, take that grass-fed burger meat, mm. put it on the counter, and open up the spice drawer and the rosemary and the thyme and the oregano and the cumin and turmeric uh, and the cayenne and just throw it all in that burger meat. It is medicinal. Yum. I'm coming around to your place for dinner, Jack. That sounds great. Anytime, buddy. (laughs) Hey, so let's talk about drugs because, 
you know, I guess there has to be at some stage a time and a place for crisis care. You know, like I always, I often say to people, look, if you're halfway through having a heart attack, you know, don't come in for an adjustment. Go to the emergency department. You know, there's there's a time and a place for crisis care. You know, I'd love to make it so that that time and a place is, you know, never or, or very rarely or not often. Um, but, you know, at some stage there's a time and a place for it. And particularly, I think, for people who are already on medication, then if they want to come off of that medication, then they have to be careful about how they go about doing it. So what's your perspective on that, Jake? Do, do you think there is a time and a place for people to be on medications for their heart issues? And if so, when is it? And, and if they want to get off of it, how, do, how careful do they need to be about it? Uh, a fantastic question. And obviously, we're not telling anybody. We're not, of course, you know, we preface this. We're not giving medical advice and talk to your doctor. Or don't do this or that. Um, but how wonderful would it be to do a study on patients in the midst of an acute myocardial infarction, in the mm-hmm. midst of a heart attack, and give them chiropractic care uh-huh. in the middle of the heart attack? Just okay. take three minutes yeah. and adjust them, adjust their, adjust their cervical and, and their thoracic spine and see what would happen with outcomes. Uh, I think it would be a miraculous thing. If any chiropractor ever wanted to work in an, in an emergency room, which I oh. can't imagine one would, um, <laughs> I, I do know obviously that nine out of 10 chest pain patients are musculoskeletal. So a chiropractor staffing an emergency room would prevent all those people from needlessly having to come into the hospital. Uh, but yeah, of course there's a time and a place for, for, you know, for emergency medicine. If you are in the midst of a heart attack, let's just say, go to the emergency room. Uh, you know, if you've, um, at, you know, uh, you know, you know, trauma situations, obviously, and you, uh, uh, you know, perforated something. I mean, you know, there's, there's a time and a place for, for emergency medicine, but for preventive medicine, the MDs have nothing. They've yeah. got nothing in the toolbox. Mm. They've got a bunch of drugs that have minimal benefit at best. And what my book talks about, I don't tell people not to take statin drugs. I say, listen, if you want to take a statin drug to lower your cholesterol down, just understand that it decreases your chances of having a heart attack from 7% down to 6%. Hmm. And if you want that benefit of 7% down to 6%, if you want that 1% benefit after t- you know taking a drug for five years, uh, well, then go ahead and take the drug. But what I offer in my practice, what a uh, chiropractor offers in their practice, and whether or not it's a, you know, they're a straight chiro or they, you know, I guess they're a mixer, as you guys call them, and they use, you know, nutrition supplements, lifestyle changes. What we want out of our patients is a 0% chance of heart attack. That's what we're offering. The medical system is not offering that. They offer uh, the statin trials, which are very flawed. We can get in the conspiracy about those if we want, but let's just take them on, on, on their published data that there is minimal benefit, yet the, you know, the, yet the public is not educated on this fact, and they think, wow, I've got to be taking this drug or I'm going to die, because that's what the cardiologists tell them, because I know that because I saw it, and that's how I was trained, and that's what I told patients for the first two and a half years of my career. Take Lipitor. I don't want to take the cholesterol drug. Do you want to die? No, I don't want to die. Then take the drug. Mm. That's the conversation. That's the back and forth. And without the explanations, and that's what my book is for, teaching people, okay, here's what the percentages are. I'm offering you a better way. 
Yeah, and you know the irony of that is that if you actually wanted to do that study where you put some people on their drugs and you put some people on the lifestyle intervention and you wanted to make that comparison, chances are the ethics department at whatever university you're at would actually say to you, you're not allowed to do that study because it's too dangerous to take people off of their drugs. And so you wouldn't even be able to do the study to make the comparison, is, is my suspicion, because they, there's just such a dogma that that medication approach is the absolute way to go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, just, uh, that's so true from so many open heart surgery. I mean, if people were performing open heart by, you know, coronary bypass surgeries uh, for 20 years before there was any significant data on it. And then if you look at the data on bypass surgery there, and I talk about this in the book, of course, there's a small, uh, for, uh, you know, section of people that have evidence-based medicine that open heart bypass surgery is beneficial uh, for the other, what may be a majority of people there's actually no evidence that is better than being on a placebo or, uh, you know, or, or drug therapy. And then if you take uh, bypass versus drug versus natural holistic, we'll blow them away. Yeah. All right. So, Jack, let's start talking about some of the solutions because obviously people are coming into your practice. They're getting great results. They're, they're making huge changes to not just their heart health and their heart risk, but their overall health, which is perhaps... The most important point about this approach is that, you know, if we take a reductionist view, if we take a, a more um, medical mechanistic view, then we look at just the heart. And so we do studies to see what drug is going to create a difference to the heart. But we don't often sit back and say, but what difference does it make to the whole body? Which is, you know, why we end up seeing results like, for example, the Vioxx, you know, arthritis medication, which ended up causing disastrous results for people's heart health, even though... You know, it may have had some benefits for people with arthritis. And so by, you know, we, by taking a whole body approach, we're able to start looking at what's going to make the whole body healthy, not just the heart healthy, which I think is super important. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked from my question. So um, when people come in and see you though, Jack, what sort of stuff are we talking about in terms of interventions? You've obviously mentioned the supplements and the spices and those sort of things, but you know, where do you usually start with people in terms of making changes? Well, I do want to say one thing. It is estimated, according to the literature, that Vioxx led to 28,000 heart attacks by the time it was pulled. Yeah. 28,000 by the time it was pulled. And they knew the data was there. They knew that, that, that the fraud was there. Mm. So, uh, and when that it was evidence-based. To, totally yes. evidence-based medicine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to you know, my patients in my office, we talk about nutrition first and foremost. And some people can jump into paleo very quickly. Some people it takes time and you tell them, okay, start with, you know, going wheat free and then going gluten free and then grain free and then getting rid of the sugar and then getting rid of the dairy. So we do it in stepwise over a time period of, of six to eight weeks. And I find that to be very successful. Uh, we talk about the importance of getting sleep. I mean, just the concept of go to sleep with the sun down and awake with the sunrise. People that sleep six hours or less have a much, much higher risk of heart attack, stroke, and death. We talk about the dangers associated with mental health issues, and I'm talking about uh, stress, depression, anger, anxiety. I want people to open up people's eyes uh, to these factors. We uh, talk about uh, the importance of physical activity and not going on the treadmill for 45 minutes while you're watching some uh, talk show. Uh, it's about getting outside. It's about hiking, biking, uh, running, Swimming, it's about building your muscle mass, uh, uh, doing push-ups, squats, lunges, planks, 
uh, curls, shoulder presses, whatever it may be, you know, you, you know, building muscle and, and the evidence there is, is so uh, tremendous that that kind of activity uh, or, or burst aerobic activity where you pedal, 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 and then slow down for a little bit. And it's more paleo-esque, you know, kind of like mm. picking up that boulder and throwing it over there or building shelter or chasing after kids or chasing, uh, you know, or, you know, running away from a lion. That's, that's what we did. And, uh, you know, and, and then once again, looking at the environmental aspect and talking to people about their laundry detergent, fabric softener, dryer sheets, toothpaste, deodorant, all those light, you know, personal care products and getting them into a natural fashion and, and the problems with uh, carpet and toxic paints and the uh, uh, toxic mattress, you know, so going in all these different things with people, it takes me, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. It took yeah. me a book, you know, to write, which is a, you know, six to eight hour read, you know, to get through my book, uh, you know, and you tell people these things and it's very eye opening and it works. That's fantastic. We're almost out of time, Jack, but I do want to touch on the exercise a bit before we go because um, I think a lot of people who have heart issues or suspect they might have heart issues or have family history of heart issues are scared of exercise uh, because they've kind of they've been told to take it easy, to be careful, to not overdo it because you might cause yourself a heart attack. You might actually do yourself damage. So how do people overcome the fear, but also how do people start to exercise in a healthy way that's not going to um, overdo their, their heart's capacity, I guess, as they're developing. Because I guess, you know, there would be people who are in a bit of a sick state whose heart may be at risk if they go too hard. Um, how do you build it up slowly? Well, you know, first off, obviously, you know, we have a lot of people that are in cardiac rehab, and I think that's a, that's a good place to start for people with cardiovascular issues. But the main thing I think people need to know is, know, is that they need to start slowly and slowly, slowly, slowly build up. When you try and, uh, you know, you have an exercise in 25 years and then you're going to go climb a mountain, that's probably not uh, good advice. Mm. Uh, you know, that's when bad things can happen. So yeah. start slow and get assistance. If you can afford to get assistance, you know, just like you want to, you know, you don't, uh, uh, you know, chiropractors tell people, well, don't adjust yourself. Don't <laughs> grab your neck and twist it, right? Please. You know, you go to see a professional. You go to see a professional cardiologist. Go see uh, an exercise therapist, a trainer, somebody to work with you to get you on the right path. Beautiful. Jack, this has been a fantastic interview. Um, I, my suspicion is that I'm going to contact you very soon to get you back on the show again because this has been fantastic and I've absolutely loved it and maybe even get you on some of our other podcast shows too. Uh, but in the meantime, people are going to want to find out heaps more about you. So if they want to head to your website, thedoctorswolfson.com, I'm going to switch, so T-H-E-D-R-S-W-O-L-F-S-O-N.com. Um, and if they want to find you on social media, it's The Doctors Wolfson on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, so people can definitely go and check you out there. Obviously, your book, you've mentioned The Paleo Cardiologist. Um, I think the best spot to get that is probably from your website as well. Is that right, Jay? Yes, it's available on the website, you know, uh, you know, to get it shipped out to Australia. Uh, I think you, you guys are kind of used to shipping charges. I don't know if yeah. Amazon's cheaper. Obviously, my book is on Kindle and it's downloadable on audio nice. version from uh, Amazon. Uh, of course, as you know, from Amazon, I make a couple bucks and my office, <laughs> I'll, I'll make more than that. Absolutely. But uh, we also have a lot of chiropractors that are friends of ours. They're looking at our supplements uh, that are available on our website. They're interested in wholesaling uh, our supplements. So that's a possibility. But uh, yeah, those are the best places. I'm very active on Facebook. I, I do I do all my own social media. I don't farm it out, hire it out. Um, I don't know if you know Jason uh, Deach, but uh, uh, Jason 
uh, has a very good website that is chiropractic based, so it kind of right. like some good memes and good graphics and stuff like that. So Jason's a super dude, nice. so I do uh, you know share some of his content, but um, you know putting information out there, heart health, family health, wellness, uh, it's all me. And, uh, yeah, the Drs. Wolfson, as you said, abbreviated Drs. DRS. Uh, my wife is an absolute pistol. She is my rock, my support, uh, and uh, definitely couldn't do it without her. So Sounds Dr. brilliant. And I, and I tell you what, Jack, I'll be looking to get the books stocked in my practice in Adelaide. So if you're in Adelaide, um, you'll definitely be able to come in there and get them because it, it just sounds like a magnificent read and something that absolutely I want to have in to be able to share with my practice members. And, uh, and hopefully there's other chiropractors listening to this show who'll be thinking the same thing as well. So thank you so much for coming on, Jack. I look forward to chatting to you again. Dr. Brett, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. No worries. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com. And let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.